Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for that special day. That day, Lord, when you sent your only begotten Son to Calvary. And there upon that tree, he was crucified for the sins of the world. Father, I thank you, Lord, that one day he is coming again to receive us unto himself. Father, what a joy and hope we have. I pray that our hearts might hold and cling tightly to that hope with joy in the midst of all the suffering of this life. And Father, we pray with the Apostle John, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And now, Father, speak to our hearts through thy precious word once again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Esther tonight. And thank you, Sharon, for playing, honey. Uh, Book of Esther, chapter 9. We're actually going to wrap up our series tonight. Because there are 10 chapters in the book of Esther. But there are only three verses in chapter 10. It's that short. So we're going to combine 9 and 10 this evening. And uh, what a wonderful study the Lord has given us here. As we've studied the, the story of Esther, her life and how God used her and Mordecai, to to redeem God's people there in exile. And, uh, and they could have been c- completely, as you know from our study, uh, the whole plan of Satan was to annihilate the Jews. That's always been Satan's plan. The enemy of God is the enemy of our souls, and he has always tried to wipe out Uh, the Jewish nation from the very beginning so that the Messiah would never reign. And so he tried anything he could. And he raised up a man named Haman, who, as you recall in the previous chapters, the man Haman ended up being the right hand of the king. And the king exalted him. This man Haman was an Agagite. He hated the Jews, his, his ancestry were, were enemies of the Jews. And so he took it upon himself to, to get a law passed with the king's permission to kill all the Jews. Now, the, again, he tricked the king, and so the king had no idea that really uh, it was the Jewish people. But somehow the decree went out that on a certain day that the, that the Jews were uh, that, that the whole kingdom, all the provinces, all the, the Persians were allowed to turn on the Jews and actually have a day of murder, uh, like a, a massacre of the Jewish people. And this went into law. And so everybody was counting the days. As you recall, Mordecai uh, spent three days, in, a week in ashes and sackcloth. He told Esther about it. Ask Esther, Esther, please tell the king. Talk to the king and ask him to uh, tell him that y- y- it's, you know, you've hidden the fact that you're a Jew, but now it's time to tell him, go save our people. And as you recall, she hesitated, but then finally she uh, came forth to tell him. And uh, as you recall, that, uh, that uh, as the king was 
one night couldn't sleep and was reading some of the uh, history, the chronicles of of the uh, of Persia. Uh, he came across the story of how his life was spared again uh, as a plot to assassinate him uh, was um, was uh, put together, and Mordecai was the man who had um, unveiled the plot heard about it, told Esther, and Esther told the king, and Esther had those, those, um, those who were going to assassinate him executed. And of course, as you recall the story, that at that point, the king was so excited about, uh, you know, that he, his life was spared, he wondered about this man who revealed the plot. Who is he? Because his name was never mentioned. And then Esther was able to tell him, oh, it's Mordecai, my guardian. And, uh, and he is the one that Haman wants to kill. And see the gallows out there? Those gallows are, uh, were built for my, uh, so, uh, as it were, stepfather, which was really her cousin, Mordecai, that Haman had built the gallows on which he would hang Mordecai. And the king, furious, suddenly changed uh, his, his uh, thoughts towards Haman, this wicked man who wanted to kill Mordecai and the rest of the Jews. And that day he had Haman march out and they hung him on those gallows. And so the enemy was gone. God had removed Haman. However, the problem still existed. The damage that Haman had done would continue because the decree, as we talked about, the, any decrees made by the king were permanent. There was no changing them. Once a king, the king made a decree, it had to be followed through. He himself couldn't even change it. And so Esther asked him to change it, and he said, I'm sorry, but what's done is done. However, he then exalted Mordecai, as you recall. Mordecai became like second in command in the kingdom, and took Haman's place. And so what, how in the world would the king solve this problem that on this certain day, the Jews were going to be annihilated in his kingdom? And he couldn't, couldn't do anything to stop it. So what he did, he made a second decree, as you recall. A second decree was made so that, uh, that the decree went out that on the day of the month, the 12th month of Adar, that that day uh, when the Jews, uh, when all of a sudden it was a free-for-all, everybody could kill a Jew, basically. Uh, it was the king sent a decree out to Mordecai, a decree that the Jews could actually defend themselves on this day. And they could actually kill their enemy. Now, Try and picture this, that you're in a nation, okay, and, uh, and uh, a decree was made to kill a, a, a certain race of people. And so there was a day set on the calendar. Everybody knew. The Jews looked on that day and says, that is the day we're, we're going to be killed. But then suddenly the, the new decree came out saying, oh, by the way, you Jews, you can defend yourself and actually fight against your enemy and kill them. 
So the king, did not, the king allowed this new decree to go out. And so that's where we are, okay? So now the two decrees are out. The Jews are rejoicing in the fact that they can actually defend themselves when the enemies, their enemies attack them in the different provinces. And that's bring, that brings us to chapter 9. So if you will, look at verses 1 through 4 with me. One through four. Now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought them harm. Notice the Jews are assembling together, getting ready for this day, and they are actually going to go after their enemies, those who were planning to kill them. And no one could stand before them, verse 2. No one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples, even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business, assisted the Jews, verse 3, because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. What had taken place again? Mordecai had been exalted by the king, This decree that went out for the Jews to be able to annihilate their enemies went forth. And so now, all of a sudden, the enemies of the Jews, the ones who wanted to wipe them out, suddenly lived in fear of Mordecai because this decree went out from Mordecai and they feared him. And Mordecai was so feared, did you notice this? That all the princes of of the provinces... And all the governors and satraps and those who were doing the king's business all over the country, who did they assist? They assisted the Jews. In other words, they said, basically says, okay, who wants a sword? You know, and giving swords out to the Jews and to defend themselves. And, and the king was actually supporting the Jews to kill his own people, people of, of Persia. And it's just a remarkable story. It blows your mind when you think about it. But God was making a way for, for uh, his people to be spared from annihilation. And, and so, verse 4, Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. What a flip of events. You've got Haman, who was a king of the world, right-hand man of the king, thought he could do anything he wanted. He could wipe out the Jews, wipe out Mordecai, but then suddenly God exalts the humble. God exalts the man. And remember that God is in control of the nations. Amen. God is in control of every leader, everyone who is, is running a nation out there whether it's America or Russia or China, those leaders are 
uh, uh, God has allowed to be appointed there. And many of them evil and wicked in heart. Yet God is going to fulfill his purpose in the nations. And God will turn the nations in the direction he wants them to go so that uh, in, in the end, Jesus Christ is going to return and those nations that are anti-God, they will turn on, on, on Christ when he returns uh, with the Antichrist at the head, uh, mastering the nations. He is their king and Jesus will come and, re- and re- he will conquer this world and all the enemies of God. And so we have a picture here of our future. We see it here that that Mordecai was exalted and given a great position so that the people could could fight for themselves and each one uh, could defend themselves against their enemies. And then we see that through all this, through all this, God is doing a work. He's doing a work in the hearts of his people. Because God is going to bring them victory, we will see in a moment. He will bring victory against their enemies. And so this is basically like a civil war going on here in Persia. So look at verse 5 through 10 with me. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. And in Susa, the capital, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And now we have some names. These are the 10 sons of Haman. Okay, verse 7. Parshandatha, Dolphin, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha, Parmashta, Arisa, Aradei, and Vizatha. Don't ask me to pronounce those any faster. But there, there are those names of all the sons of Haman. Verse 10. The sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy. So they put to death the 500 men plus all the sons of Haman. Okay, so they were able to basically destroy all their enemies in all the provinces. And now we're talking about cities, okay? So they could actually go into an enemy's home and, and wipe them out. And guess what? When you, when you f- were in a war, you were uh, one of the uh, benefits you received was that of what's called plunder. And uh, you go into a city, they were able to take, they were allowed to take whatever they wanted personally to, to take home for themselves, whether it be gold, silver, whatever it is. You know, they had the, the authority and the permission to, uh, once they killed their enemy, to take anything they possessed. But notice the end of verse 10 there. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. What does that tell us about the Jewish heart 
at this time, the Jewish people. Yes, they hated their enemies. Yes, they were ready to defend themselves. But they didn't go beyond the removal of their enemies. They didn't become like the heathen and plunder all their material things and their families and, their, and, and all their possessions. They left it alone. They left it alone, and I believe God honored this. And we see this a few times where this is mentioned, that they did not plunder. They didn't lay hands on the plunder. Verse 11, on that day, the number of those who were killed in Susa, the capital, was reported to the king. Okay, so now the king gets word that uh, the Jews are fighting, killing their, you know, Uh, killing their enemies. They've killed 500 already. And look at verse 12. And the king said to Queen Esther, now enter Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in Susa, the capital. What What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, you would think that the king at this point, he's hearing his people are being killed because they're attacking the Jews. But no, God has prepared this king's heart uh, <laughs> to, to do something that, that you would never imagine he would do. Look what he says to the rest of verse 12. Now, what he says to Esther, what is your... Petition, it shall even be granted to you. And what is your further request, it shall also be done. Remember way back, he loved Esther so much and thought so much of Esther that he says, you can have half my kingdom. Just ask, just request whatever you you need, whatever you want. Here, he says it again to her and says, what else? In other words, Esther, what else do you want me to do? You name it, claim it, I'll do it. It will happen. And so he throws that out to Esther. And look at verse 13. Then said Esther, If it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa, to do according to the edict of today. In other words, kill more enemies tomorrow. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. How about that? Now, notice what she says. She says, well, let's do it another day. Let the Jews fight again one more day against their enemies the second day. And not only that, but she says, oh, and Haman's ten sons, go hang them on the gallows. Now, they were already dead. They were already dead. But she wanted to make a public display of her enemies, of Haman's sons, and that this is what will happen should you, should you come against God's people. And so... That's exactly what happened. They were hanged, verse 14. 
So the king commanded that it should be done, and an edict was issued in Susa. And Haman's ten sons were hanged, and they were already dead. But it, they were, it, was, it was a vengeful thing, but it was also a thing that was used to strike fear into the people of Persia. Um, days gone by, as you recall, if you, as you, you've studied history, that uh, <clears throat> uh, public executions were done. Up to the 1800s, uh, into the late 1800s, even the early 1900s, uh, people were still hanged publicly. So someone who was a murderer in an old town, western town, as you recall, um, there would, that would be the day that this man's going to be hanged for, for his crime. And so it was actually a public event, and they hung him. They would hang, hang the individual. And that, that public execution, as if you look at history, it always was a great deterrent for crime. It, it was used by God to, to, uh, to cause people to live in fear of disobeying the law. And, uh, but there are those who uh, get so angry at... Now, now, I'm sure maybe Esther was also very... Uh, we, we don't know what's in her heart when she says, Oh, let's hang these ten sons that are already dead. Uh, there may have been some revenge in there to get, get you know, just while well, they're dead, but let's, let's do something even more to them. I had been uh, reading recently of a man by uh, this story and history of a man named Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell uh, is an incredible, was an incredible man. He lived in the 1600s. And uh, to make the story short, uh, the new king, this is King James, who gave us the King James Bible, he died, and his son, King Charles I, took the throne in England. And so King, Ch- king Charles, uh, all he cared about was what he wanted to do in running the country. He didn't care. And so there was what, what was called parliament, just like we have our senate. You know, or like England has a parliament today. So you have a prime minister and a parliament. One is not greater than the other. They both have equal power so that one doesn't gain absolute power. Well, King Charles wanted absolute power. So what he chose to do, because parliament came to him with these grievances for the people. Because they were being harshly treated, uh, harshly jailed, uh, tortured, all kinds of things. Taxed. And so... The king, what does he do? He walks into parliament and say, parliament is dissolved. And suddenly he shuts down parliament. So he says, I'm going to be king and no one's going to tell me what to do. And so it goes on. Finally, the people rise up. And finally, there is a civil war in England. Now, we talk about the civil war here in America, but the civil war, you should read about the civil war over in England in the 1600s. But the people raised up an army, and at the head of the army was a man that was put in charge named Oliver Cromwell, just an ordinary farmer. But he, he took, he was placed in command as he was in parliament when it was dissolved. 
But he, he was one of the generals of the army that would end up fighting the king's army. So here we have the Civil War. Well, the battles went on and on for years in, in the 1640s until finally uh, the parliamentary forces, the army of the people, finally won over the, the war. And finally, King Charles had no army left. They arrested King Charles. They took him to London, and he was put on trial for treason because he, he was planning all along uh, to the, uh, not, to, not to the knowledge of the people, but King Charles had already contacted Ireland and Scotland and tried to raise up foreign armies, and especially Catholic armies, to come over and fight his own people so that he could win the war. And remember, at this time uh, of England, it was all Protestant. It was a Protestant nation. But he secretly went and tried to get, gain Catholic armies to come over and kill, kill his own people. So anyway, he was put on trial for this, and he was executed off with his head. They cut off his head. And so uh, Oliver Cromwell became what's called Lord Protector over the, over the kingdom of England for five years. He would not receive the crown because he was a godly man. He was a Puritan. He loved the Lord, and he believed he was doing the Lord's work. And when they offered him the crown, he refused. He said, I, I would not wear that crown. This is, this is the people's country. And so he took the position of Lord, what's called Lord Protector. So he would govern and use parliament as well, but govern uh, with, without, uh, but in a godly way. And his desire was to build a godly nation in England. So that because he was waiting for the return of Jesus Christ to come. And so he wanted to prepare England for the coming of Christ. And if you study his, the history of Oliver Cromwell, it was he that opened up the doors when he came into power, not as king, but as Lord Protector. He opened the doors and said, we are going to receive the Jews back into England. And the Jews, for hundreds of years, the Jews had been kicked out of England. They could not set foot in England. God used Oliver Crom Cromwell to begin uh, the, the, uh, a new uh, a time of, of blessing for the Jews to enter, the, uh, enter England and worship alongside the Protestants. And, and then God blessed it from there. But then he, he died in, in 1658. But here's the thing that uh, happened after, after he died. Uh, King Charles's son finally came back to England. He had been exiled, but he came back to England, and the people put him back on the throne. So finally England had a, throne, uh, had a king again, King Charles II. Well, guess what? He was so angry at Oliver Cromwell, who was already dead, but Oliver Cromwell was part of the trial that had his dad executed. He went and he dug up his body and he went and hung it in London. He hung his skeleton up in London. I know this is, I hope you don't go out to eat after this. 
and, and you're not planning a nice dinner. But, but the, he hung Oliver Cromwell's body out for everyone to see for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and then, then people could do whatever they wanted with the body. He, he had it dragged through the streets. He was trying to show the people, he was trying to get even, saying, oh, boy, I hate this man. Though, though he's dead, I'm still going to kill him even more. It's kind of what Esther did with, these, uh, w- with the sons of Haman. And, and it, this is exactly what happens. But you can see God was was bringing his people uh, the chosen people of Israel back into England he was bringing them out here he was sparing them and so we see that Esther this was her choice the king gave her a carte blanche uh, you know question whatever you want I'll do and then we see uh, verse 15 and the Jews were in Susa assembled also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and killed 300 men in Susa. But here it is again. They did not lay their hand on, hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and killed. This is the second day. And killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. They did not touch the plunder. You see, and back at this, at this time, there were, there were two days marked and uh, <clears throat> that, that were marked. It was... The 14th of this month and the 15th of this month. Uh, and they, they were allowed to continue. The Jews were allowed to continue to fight their, their enemies. And so something wonderful happened then. Verse 17. This was done on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th day, something happened. They rested and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Their enemies were conquered. No more were they threatened by their enemies in Persia. God had spared his people. And so they were going to rejoice. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and 14th day of the month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting. Therefore, the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns made the 14th day of the month of Adar a holiday for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. Verse 19, what does that sound like to you? What kind of day? Christmas. They basically made up their own Christmas, a day of rejoicing, giving of gifts, they would send food to one another, and, they, and they, they celebrated what God had done in sparing them. And you know, as I th- and, and we're, we, we see here that, that the, um, they, they will name this feast. They have a name for it. Verse 20. Then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, 
obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month uh, of the month Adar and the 15th month of the same month annually. Because of those days, the Jews rid themselves of their enemies. And it was it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday that they should make days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another. And here it is, gifts to the poor. It was like Christmas. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. See that word pure? It's, it's pronounced pure. Uh, and and uh, P-U-R. It's another name used for casting of lots, casting the dice. That day, Haman went and cast the dice to pick a day on the calendar, which would be the lucky day that he would get to destroy all the Jews. And so he rolled the dice. And so what did the Jews do? They took that word uh, poor, P-U-R, and they used it to make the name of the holiday for this day that they were free from their enemies. Verse 25, but when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim. See that? P-U-R-I-M. After the name of Pure. They took that rolling of the dice name from, as a reminder of how God spared them from, from Haman. And so they called this holiday Purim. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them so that they should not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So these days were remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and the days of Purim were not to fail among, from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of uh, Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And he sent letters to the Jews, to all the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, namely words of peace and truth to establish these days of Purim at their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them. And just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants with instructions for their times of fasting and lamentations. And the command of Esther established these customs for Purim and was written in the book. And let's just finish up verse 10, chapter 10. 
Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Persia. And I'm sorry, and are they not written in the book of the chronicles of kings and uh, the kings of Persia and Media? For Mordecai the Jew was second only to the king Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and in favor with all the multitude of his kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, one who spoke for the welfare of his nation. We see what happened here, but what I, how I want to personalize this tonight for us as we, as we close is that you and I have an enemy of our souls, that Satan is alive and well, as you know, and he is after each one of us, just like Haman was after the Jews and all Haman's people who wanted to kill the Jews. Satan wants you. And he wants me. And he will do anything he can using the dark forces that are under his power to to attack you and me. And he will come in different forms. He may attack us through someone who's close to us. Someone in our own family who suddenly turns on us. And you wonder, how did this happen? But suddenly they are their enemy or there's a conflict in your home. Maybe it's in your marriage and there's a, there's a battle going on. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's uh, a problem with, with people that, that you work with or, or old friends or people in the church, whatever it is. Or it may be uh, physical Whatever it is, Satan is going after us and he will lay out temptation and he wants us certainly to sin and to disobey God's word. But I have good news, my friends, that there is a Purim day coming. A day when you and I will be able to rejoice and celebrate the defeat of the enemy of God and the enemy of our souls, Satan. For in that day, in, as we read in Revelation, Jesus is going to return. We are going to return with him. He will come to earth. He will face his enemies and destroy his enemies, and we will be with him, and he will set up his kingdom for a thousand years on this earth, and he will reign from Jerusalem along with the, the remnant Jews who are believers And the Jewish nation will rise again. And suddenly we, as the bride of Christ, will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And oh, how wonderful it's going to be. And then at the end of the thousand years, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to loose, God is going to loose Satan for a little while, only to stir up some more trouble among the nations to attack Jesus. But at the end, God will send fire down from heaven on those nations. He will take Satan the enemy, the dragon, the serpent, and he will cast him into the lake of fire forever and ever. And along with the false prophet and the Antichrist and, and all the enemies of God. And you and I are going to celebrate eternity together with, with our enemies destroyed. And you and I will worship the lamb. We will worship the lamb forever and ever. Think about our future. 
And just as God spared the Jews and took them to a day where they could celebrate victory, my friend, you and I can have victories throughout our life as we battle the spiritual battle, as we wear the armor of God that Paul talked about. We can fight against the enemy, the devil. We can resist the devil. Submit to the Lord first. Resist the devil, James says. And then he will what? He will flee from you. We can have victory here against our enemy. And then one day we will have complete victory when Jesus returns. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Lord, for this wonderful story you've given us of a woman, Lord, who was willing to lay down her life, Lord, for her people. And Father, she was willing to take a stand. Father, even if it meant her death. And you used Esther to turn about the events that the evil man Haman had had sought to accomplish. And Father, you orchestrated the victory. You brought freedom to the Jewish people. And Father, then they had a day of rejoicing. Father, we thank you for the day of rejoicing that we will have one day. When we will have our glorified bodies, sin will be eradicated. There will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Impress these truths to our heart. And may we leave here with great joy, knowing that our Savior is to return soon. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.